Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Turn with me to the book of Romans, and I want to be in, we're going to be in, in chapter 10 for just a few minutes here. We'll start reading verse 5. If you've taken any evangelism class, you know uh, the Romans road. Anybody heard of the Romans road before? A couple of people are saved in the room. Okay, that's good. It's a good start. And uh, at least if you're going to go with Daniel and Stephen, make sure you're saved. I don't want to send unsaved people with them to Providence. But that is the evangelism team, like, all going. So somebody will lead you to the Lord. Uh, verse 5 of chapter 10 says, For Moses writes that the man who practices the righteousness, which is based on law, shall live by that righteousness. But the righteousness based on faith speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? Then he writes in parentheses, basically what that is, is to to bring uh, Christ down from heaven. Or verse 7, who will descend into the abyss? Because that's basically who's going to go down and bring Christ up. But verse 8 says, the, the word of faith says this, that the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Amen? Amen. Verse 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is good. Thank you, Lord, that all we have to do is call on the name of the Lord. This first verse, it it, needs a little attention. And basically, as this letter is written to these Jews in Rome, okay, the Jews in Rome, good Jews in Rome, would be in an effort to become counterculture to Rome, which Rome was like Babylon. It's like America. It was like, let's see how many different ways we can sin. It was like, let's take a creative license and get as sinful as we possibly can with this whole thing. And it was disgusting. And so what Jews would be doing who would be gathering in a synagogue and hearing this letter, those Jews, in an effort to hold the fort, in an effort to toe the line, they would have probably been so legalistic, even more so than in other parts of the known world at this time, because they're working so hard. They've begun to strive against the world. And in a lot of ways, I think that describes the church right here where we live. Good Christians, really, really good Christians, we almost feel like we have to bring a little bit of legalism back into the picture in order to like level out at any, at any norm of righteousness, right? It's a common sense thing, but it's still off. And so Paul's writing to them and saying, no, we've got we've to understand the law. We talk about the law in here, right? We talk about, oh, religiosity is bad and the Pharisees this and, you know, how bad religion is. But the law was never actually intended to make us righteous. 
And it's important that we go into it with this understanding because some people are like, no, like I've done so many good deeds and I've and I and I'm at church every time the doors are open and I always, you know, write my tithe check and a little bit more and I volunteer at every soup kitchen and I'm always the first person to line up uh, to serve. And and there's some subconscious marriage between how much we do or how long we've been doing it and righteousness. And I got to be careful or I'm going to preach and I don't want to. I just want to share a couple things out of this. The law was never intended to make us righteous. The law was always a projection of God's standards. That's what it was meant to be. A projection of his ethics, of his morals, of, of his standards. Practicing the law, which going back to when Moses first comes down the mountain with it. Practicing the law was simply adhering to those standards with the understanding that we could never really attain it. Like, like doing the law 100%, this is the irony of legalism. The law 100% carried out perfectly required the sacrifice of animals to shed symbolic blood because you still weren't good enough. You see the irony of thinking that the law makes us righteous? The law just tells us how not righteous we really are. That we still require somebody else's blood. That we still require because all the sacrificing in the world can still be done in disobedience if it's not under and through the blood of Jesus Christ. The only thing that makes us righteous. Amen? I love that we have a church that gets excited when we preach about like legalism, you know, it's just, it's a blessing. So we're not going to stay there long because then Paul jumps into quoting Deuteronomy 30 when he says, um, you know, when he, he says basically this righteousness based on faith speaks the f- as follows. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. And he's kind of paraphrasing some stuff uh, that Moses was sort of speaking out over his people in Deuteronomy 30. If we had more time, we would jump into this because it's very interesting. Go back and read it if you can, if you want to. But what he's saying here is, is that righteousness based on faith is this reminder that we're not to ask who's going to go up into heaven and bring Christ down or who's going to go down into hell and bring Christ up. These are two opposing views that together actually oppose truth. But there's a reality of this in the church today, this idea that, well, Jesus is this like high and lofty thing that has to be attained or that, no, Christ is actually this really low, low, low thing that I can't get to by getting low enough. And so both of these things are like erroneous in their pursuit of truth. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying to a group, to a group of Romans who, by the way, again, Jews, Romans, Christians living in this place, not unlike New England, are feeling that they have to attain some level of righteousness before God's going to move or speak or reveal or cast vision through them or birth dreams or whatever else, or that there's this low place. And that if I can just get low enough, if I, if that's not low enough, I'll dig a hole in the floor and get lower And somehow I can arrive at this lowliness where Jesus really is. And Paul's saying, no, you're missing it. Legalism actually says that too. It says that and that. 
What does faith say? What does faith say? It says this. It says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. What word? The living word. The word that became flesh in just a couple weeks from now. We talk about that word coming to life. We talk about that word, the same word that was God breathed from the beginning, being conceived and coming to life and what it means for us. When Moses first speaks this over his people, he's challenging them on, you know, like who, who can go to this place and get him or who, who can go. He's not talking about Jesus at the point, but he is talking about the pursuit of God. And he comes to this conclusion with them that, wait, God is near us. Not only is he near us, it's not that he has to be, it's that he's always wanted to be. He's near us. The word, the very word of Jesus Christ is in us, in your mouth, spoken through confession. And that's what ushers in and creates a space for him to dwell. That's part of why we put so much emphasis on our worship, because it is the confession of who Jesus is. It is the declaration and the proclamation of the reality of this relationship that we have with him. And singing it, saying it, declaring it, it is so. See, the places that feel far from Jesus need to be reintroduced to him. We were doing the faculty devotions this week uh, for eight weeks now. We've been going through the heart study with the King's faculty on early Thursday mornings. And this last Thursday was our very last one. We talked about transformation. And it's funny, I... Every time we come through the, the values, I feel like the Lord shows me something different. It's like I went back to my notes when we re-recorded the heart study, and I'm like, man, these values mean so much more to me now than they even did then. They're so much, they're so, they're so much more vibrant, the idea of surrender now versus a couple years ago. You know, when we were all consumed by COVID or whatever, I think is the first round of when we were doing this. And so everything was coming through this filter of like surviving, and now we're going through it and I'm like, no, everything's pushing forward. The school is pushing forward. And when I have the faculty in a room together and we start to go through these, wait, transformation, the, the, the significance, the gravity of transformation is, comes back to leadership. How are we being led and how are we leading people in transformation? And um, what's interesting, though, about transformation is that it draws attention to the places in us that are not changed yet. It draws attention. See, that's conviction. When we really allow the Lord to show up and to, and to highlight things in our lives, we want him to see all the great things. And he wants us to see the things that haven't yet been touched, the things that we haven't yet surrendered, the things that need to be introduced to him. See, it's a modern mindset that, that dichotomizes our lives, that, that breaks us up into all these different categories. And if you listen to the podcast, I talk about that. Uh, we go back and forth on um, men and women and how we're like waffles and women are like spaghetti. I, think, I can't remember who wrote the book and talks about like men compartmentalize and categorize everything and women are kind of like this big mess where everything is on everything. And I say mess in like a good way, like we need it, Right? And everything's touching everything all the time. And 
So I think the categorization is a real disservice to our faith. Because many of us who have been saved, let's say, in the last 20 to 30 years, or maybe you came out of Catholicism, you converted into, you know, Protestant Christianity, you prayed a sinner's prayer. Well, your salvation looks a lot different than it did for folks who got saved another maybe 10, 15, 20, 30 years before that. Why? Because we live in the land of the compartments, We live in the land of the container store. We live in the land of Tupperware, where we want to take everything, seal it up tight, and then open it when necessary, okay? And and it sounds neat. It sounds clean. It sounds almost sterile. And yet, what happens is, when we get saved, the only thing that gets saved is the part we opened up. I remember my father-in-law, Ron, I was listening to you talk to somebody about, about their life and all the mess that they were in. And, and you're like, well, you got saved, right? And they're like, yeah. And, and you're like, well, what's the problem? Like, you know Jesus. You, you called on his name. You're saved. And, uh, and they're like, yeah, but there's like this and this and this and this and there's 27 things. And Ron is talking to me later and he's like, Zach, when I got saved, I gave it all to the Lord. I opened every compartment up. I dumped out every Ziploc baggie and Rubbermaid container, opened all the drawers, opened all the doors, and it was all his, and he came in, and there wasn't anything left. It doesn't mean that, like, Ron's now sinless. It means that there isn't anything left to give, and your life reflects that. My generation's life reflects one compartment at a time. My generation packs everything into watertight bags so that when we go under for baptism, you see, people used to get baptized once. In the Bible, you don't see anybody going back into the river to get baptized a second time. Our generation, we're like, I think I need to do it again. (laughs) Fill the tank up. I'm doing it again. Why is once not enough? Because you had your stuff locked up watertight. You had it rolled down in, 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 in bags designed to withstand the pressure of baptism, of transformation, designed by our culture perfectly to preserve the things that we may want to take out later. And so where that leaves us is needing to take inventory of our lives and having to ask the hard question, what is Jesus not the Lord of? What is he not the Lord of? If you're uh, uh, somebody in that generation that you got saved and you gave it all, I want to thank you for bearing with us. I want to thank you for praying for us. I want to thank you for coming down with us and counseling us and being spiritual fathers and mothers to us for, for decades of our lives while we go through. We're like, oh, wait, there's another container. There's another one. Oh, I forgot about this whole wing of my attic. Because as we take inventory... And as we start to pull these things open that maybe we've forgotten about or been in denial of, they get introduced to Jesus. And the same thing that was always true is now true for that thing too. The enemy wants us to believe that the law will only justify broken places when they're made whole first. But the Father says, faith says, truth says, 
that the Lord already justified them. And when we begin to expose those things to Jesus, when we begin to introduce, hey, fear, have you met Jesus? Depression. I want you to shake this guy's hand. Doubt. Lust. Greed. There's somebody you've got to meet. Now in his grace, the Lord will go through and, you know, some people, they experience that thing at salvation and take the lid off and everything is like, ah. Are you ever jealous of that guy that like got delivered of everything when he got saved? <laughs> the difference between you and that guy is that he opened up all his containers. Okay. I didn't open up all my containers. The Lord's still reminding me, hey, that's your mom's Tupperware back there. You need to wash it out. Send it back. You don't want what's in it anymore. I just, um, I want to encourage you saints. The Lord is dying to meet whatever it is. He already died to be made Lord of whatever it is. And so whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, maybe it's brand new. You say, I got baptized and came out and everything was made new, but this was an unforeseen thing that, that, that I've encountered in my walk since then. And man, it's like, it's already in a container. It's just waiting for a lid. That's why we sing songs like, come and pour it out at the feet of Jesus. Come and turn it upside down. Because whatever you're holding, the Lord needs to be made the Lord of that thing. If you believe with your mouth, if you believe, let's see, confess with your, there it is. I'm not called to evangelism, so I just, I never learned the Romans. If you confess with your mouth and then believe it, then believe, yeah. Would you stand with me? But what does it say? It says the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. If you take one thing home today, take this. You're not as far off as you think you are. You're never as far off as the enemy wants you to believe you are. So wherever you are, if you're in the back of the room, or you come down to the front row every week because you want to make sure nobody thinks that you're as far off as you believe you are. That's why, that's why Ashley's down here. <laughs> the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. All it takes is believing and confessing. And just like I said this morning, you know, we don't know what we're doing. Can I just tell you, when you confess with your mouth, and you believe, I like to call it this beginning to believe because your brain would explode in your skull if the Lord showed you everything right now. 
I mean, and when I say everything, I mean just like, like what you're going to be doing one year from now. Okay. I know that if the Lord started to show me what, what I would be doing, you know, like a decade ago or two ago, I would be like, this is so far off. The Lord knows. He knows what to reveal. He knows how to disclose. And my greatest prayer this morning is that we can, if, if you're in this place where you feel like you can't ever get closer to him because there's always another container, there's always another thing, there's always a, a something that you've kept nice and neat and tidy and stowed away. Let's just begin to get into the discipline, into the habit, into the routine of every morning or at least every Sunday. What's why we open up the altars all the time. Hey, if the Lord just showed you something that you forgot about, if the Lord just brought your attention to an area of your life that needs to be introduced to him or maybe even reintroduced to him. Hey, I know Jesus, but this thing from my past hasn't met him yet. Hey, I call on his name, but he hasn't been made the Lord of this area. Let's get into the discipline of just holding those things out and saying, Lord, you do the inventory. That's why the psalmist says, search my heart, oh God. Make it ever true. Search my heart. Why? Because I'm not even good enough to know what I'm looking for. There are things in my life that, that years ago I thought were good things. Years go by and I'm like convicted of them. And it's like, well, wait a minute. I thought those things were doing us favors back then. No, they're not. They're actually things that need to go. It took God and David Andre to point them out, you know? So don't, don't get discouraged. The worst thing you can do is get discouraged. The worst thing you can do is begin to believe the lies that you're not as close as you think you are. You're not as on as you think you are. If you were, this wouldn't be happening. If you were, this wouldn't have happened. If you were, you wouldn't have been looked over in that process. If you were, somebody would have called you for this. If you were, this wouldn't have, no. If you can get past that lie and you can hear the Lord and you can begin again to confess and believe. Now, wait a minute, you're the Lord of that thing. You're the Lord of something even as gross as my pride and my ego. Lord, where it needs to be subdued, would you subdue it? I surrender these things to you. God, you know the brokenness of my past. Forgive me where I've been trying to lead that thing instead of you. Forgive me where I've been trying to get a hold on this or that because somebody somewhere in your life said, you need to get a hold on this. Lord, I release my hold on it. Lord, we do. We release our hold on it. We lift our eyes to you. And God, above all, we just, we believe in our hearts and we declare it from our mouths that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, search our heart. Search our heart and show us what needs to go. Show us what needs to bow. Show us what would be a good thing if it was brought into order but it feels like a toxic thing when it's in chaos. Lord, we're not our own. We've been bought with a price. So we humble ourselves before you today. 
we introduce you to the rest of us today. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.